Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. At no point is there barbecue sauce or sauce put on chicken. There's not any sauce put on chicken anywhere in the box. I just Googled <laughs> barbecue sauce and American dirt, and there's several it's, articles. Yeah, it doesn't happen. But, well, no, but here's the thing. I emailed Huffington Post. Right? Uh-huh. I found out who the editors were. Oh, my God. I'm not going to... This is what a fucking yeah. obsessed loser I've Such a weirdo, I'm a fucking weirdo. <laughs> there I was, naked, <laughs> emailing HuffPost editors. Slathered in barbecue sauce. <laughs> We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast this is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle the people that make it and occasionally ourselves i said almost weekly it's weekly, it's weekly. um i'm it's camille damn. foster i also do various things at a place called free think in addition to being here being your shepherd your guardian angel on this mystical magical voyage and i am very excited to be here the esteemed group of gentlemen who i usually do this podcast with they're here also. Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine in why the you, building. Why are you stealing are you? my fist-pounding vibe? I like that don't real-time with Bill Maher t-shirt. At me Michael Moynihan of Vice was, News is I, sighing. I was really hoping we'd gotten rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that didn't happen. We, we can talk about that afterwards. Yeah, we can talk about it now, you know yeah. you know, Maybe, maybe just, there'll be more money in, just in, in it for both his of us. So I don't think. I am kind of yeah. pleasure to see both of you, gentlemen. Right. Again, again, talk a little bit about that later. Um, also joined by our very good friend Anthony Fisher, who is a politics columnist at Insider. See, now the, now the joke's over. Because he nailed it on the first Did I, time. Did I get it right? <laughs> Except he mispronounced the word columnist. But yeah, I don't know. It was, it was almost communist. I don't know what's going on. Uh, and I'm not going to wait. I'm going to introduce our guest because he is one of the most celebrated African-American columnist <laughs> in the United States of America. Our Black History Month guest, yes. Jesse Single. Jesse, oh, thank, you. thank you for yeah. being here, my brother. We're, we're, all, wow. we're all African-American if you go back far enough. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I knew you would get it. You I get knew it. you would get it. Can yeah. I make one quick point before we start? Please. I, I just want to address, um, I don't think it's been discussed enough, your guys' treatment of Miriam Elder. As you guys know, I hate women. <laughs> I, I listen to the show for the misogyny, but yeah. the, the blast of just male rage and entitlement. <laughs> I was uh, I was yeah. in tears. Oh my god! Of joy. I well, thought we'd, I thought we'd never ever I, hear that. I cannot well respond to what you've just said about yeah. she who shall not be named, unless she sends a nice note and says, "Hey, you know what, guys." I want to be friends. You know, I didn't want to spring this on you. She's with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Bring her in. Uh, no, come in. Can we She's celebrate not. the booze? Because this, I don't know if you've sipped the so whiskey good. yet. We can, we can, we can. Holy about, crap. So, so many things today. So Tom, I, Tom Herman sent us a wonderful, wonderful bottle of Kentucky bourbon. He sent this back in like Waffles? October. And we are drinking it now because we're catching up. Hands, That's lovely. Hand bottled, single hand bottled, single whatever they do it barrel. Uh, mm-hmm. Things called Wavins Kentucky Bourbon, and damn, is it good! It's so mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. We're gonna see Very what fine. happens uh, from zero to uh, you know however long this takes. It is. Uh, uh, I just want to uh, point out that we're starting today at five thirty. Yeah, <laughs> so we might might want to you know just t- take it a little slower tonight. Because I, I can't, I can't like pass out by the time we're done. It's yes, seven. It's, yes, you can. That's the, the best way, way to tuck oh, in your children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, man. Yeah. I'm, by the way, Matt, I, I think it's really nasty because you know I'm not allowed to see my child. <laughs> I mean, look, it's we've done my court stuff in the past. Yeah, I don't want to do it again. Yeah, but, yeah. 
Uh, but speaking of which, we, uh, we, because one bottle is never enough, nope. we do have a second bottle uh, today. Matt, could you do the honors there? Yes, please? this is a bottle. Oops, almost already knocked over the first thing. This is established Portland, Oregon. Yes, shout out to Portland. Uh, it's called Burnside, which is name of a significant street boulevard there in uh, Portland, also a neighborhood. Uh, it's and called Caracas Gariani, batch finished, whatever. Too many words. But uh, thank you, for Mary Lamott, who writes a, a legible card saying to my favorite four gentlemen. So she's accepting Jesse Single, and I think that's only appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy my favorite bourbon. Uh, he identifies. Yeah. Also, don't change the show too much, she says. That's true. Mm. Oh, but she is suggesting we should change it a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mary, send another card with you know, enumerate the problems yep. you have with the show. <laughs> and I know if Matt is number one, just put him at number one. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's all right. We'll, we'll we'll get him out of here soon enough. Do you want to do you want to talk about the challenge coins? Because those are no, I'll, see this, this that thing. I'm, I'm sorry. He sent a note, and I don't want to say too much because our friend in Zimbabwe sent me a wonderful gift and I just wanted to let you know that I received it and I'm grateful. Thank you very yeah, much. Pretty cool. Super gorgeous, man. They're, they're yeah. beautiful. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So, Thank you, Eric. Maybe we should get into the shits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, actually, how are you guys? I, I maybe, yeah. There's, there's, there's lots of shits to get it's to. It's been yeah. at least there's a day of, since I've seen most of true. you. <laughs> I saw you both two days ago. Yeah. I'm very tired. Okay. Lunch I don't really yesterday. know mm-hmm. if I am... Interested in being here tonight, mm. wow. uh, but I think Grumpy. I will try. Well, Jesse's here, so I came. Okay. Otherwise, I just yeah. want to. I just want to go home. <laughs> well, that's because you're here. I'm here. Well, uh, Otherwise, we'll I try just to keep it home. interesting for you. Yeah. you're so boring sometimes. I know. Believe me, you and, and about, the world is quite boring. Right I know, now, isn't it? Look, which is the important insane. thing is that you're entertained. So <laughs> yeah. 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 If the show drags <laughs> a little, just let us know if you want us to change anything. Well, let me listen. Let me just run down some of the tell me what's happening things that are happening in the world. Yeah. The president of the United States is completely undermining the Justice Department, and he's freeing his friends from jail because he just wants to. And he's doing it via Twitter, which is super scary for everyone involved. I suspect you're being sarcastic, but a little bit, only a little. The New Hampshire primaries totally happened. Yes, we do have Bernie Sanders in the league. Pete Buttigieg is right behind him. (laughs) Well, Bush is leading in delegate count now, but you you mean in New Hampshire? In New Hampshire, yes, tied. In uh, Delicant from New Hampshire. No, but just overall. But overall, yeah. 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 So that's the first, those Uh are the first couple of things. There are a bunch of other storylines, including Andrew Yang, friend of the podcast, exiting the presidential race. Yes. Apparently, fake news Fisher fed me some bad intel last night and suggested that someone else was out of the race, Tom Steyer. But that was not true. Always be careful. It was quickly corrected. Fake news Fisher. Yeah. 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 FNF. That's what we call him. Fake news Fisher. I'll delete the tweet and explain why. You have never admitted you were wrong in your life. Yeah. I I mean. I ain't been wrong yet. Yeah. I ain't been wrong yet. Val Patrick's But I will just say that Fisher's just jumping the gun because Tom Steyer will eventually drop out of the race. So. Maybe. Deval Patrick, <laughs> I really had my money on him, Matt. Yep. <laughs> Did you? And yeah. Michael Bennett. Yeah. yeah. James Carville's favorite Michael. Uh, yep. Michael He's Bennett. out stomping for Michael Bennett. Tom yeah. Steyer spent uh, nearly $20 million in New Hampshire and got 3.6% of the vote. Buying yeah. elections. Yeah. I am deeply concerned about money and politics. Yeah. I mm. want to do something about it. Make it? Make more of it? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what Tom Steyer's business model is. The, uh, the grift model is, is uh, strong out there. It's very bad. He is terrible. That's actually the subject maybe for later in the podcast, but like it's a totally underplayed story 
Why is Michael Bloomberg getting a lot of endorsements? Yeah. Let's try to a guess. Whole, a whole lot of endorsements. A whole lot, including, it, including more from some the very congressional prominent black caucus. African-American yeah. endorsements. It's a lot of city in a mayors. Week, in a week where Mr. Bloomberg has had secret audio of him saying things, you know, you, supportive of stop and frisk. Yeah, but Camille, you would probably, I mean, I think the interesting thing is he didn't back down. I mean, he kind of defended it. He didn't, he didn't, uh, yeah. well, he didn't, he didn't say, I'm totally sorry for this. And yeah, he's kind of no, said, I'm he's, sorry he's for like, this. He's, he's like, a, it was oh, a mistake. I thought it was going to be sorry. more abject than <laughs> he, that. He's actually lied as well. He's, he's it's a mistake. Off. I'm sorry. I didn't know would have this impact on African Americans. Yes, you did. Because nobody's saying and, anything to me. And he also says, "My three I terms pulled, as mayor." He also says, "I pulled back ninety-five percent." Mm-hmm. Yeah. If she. No. Oh, come here! No. Could you not? Jesus Christ! No. Is that not? Wow. Is that not no. acceptable? Are we no, that's absolutely not acceptable. What? Apparently, that analogy is completely unacceptable, <laughs> which is why yes. you won't hear it. Yeah. <laughs> The analogy you didn't hear. The, was exactly. Out. There's yeah, no Patreon precisely tier right. high enough. There's five, there's five people. There should be a thousand Actually, that's not Patreon true. Tier. No, no, no. It's a billion dollar Patreon tier. Five people One in of this you room. is Mike Bloomberg and Four want to hear what I you say. went way over the line. <laughs> right. Way over the line. Apparently. All right. Okay, Continue. Wait. Let's try this again. Mike Bloomberg. I don't know why you keep doubling down on this. Sorry. Hold on, hold on. Wasting everybody's time. Okay, wait. No, no. I won't even have to cut it again. Mike Bloomberg. <laughs> uh, Mike Bloomberg was forced. Uh, forced. Yes. To pull back. Yes. On stop and frisk in New York. Back. That's what he, he was says. Back. That's forced. the preposition. Back. Yeah. Pull yeah. back. Yeah. He does not say that. Exactly. And by yeah. back, it was still at the end of his term, double what it was at the beginning of his term. Precisely right. Yep. Yeah. So at any rate, I've said many, many things already. All yeah. of those things are happening. But I think before we talk about those things, and, and they're, they're, we should talk about those things, we wanted to talk a bit about this American dirt situation, which is something we brought up a few times on the podcast. We even talked about briefly on the Patreon, which we're never supposed to mention on the podcast. Go subscribe now. <laughs> Jesse, I know that you've been doing some writing about this. So could you perhaps explain what on earth is going on here and why I should care? Because the little that I know about this makes me never want to read it. Doesn't yeah. actually sound particularly interesting. Yeah. And usually, when there are boring books or bad books that I'm not interested in, I could just ignore them. But apparently, I am supposed to be completely outraged by this because it is one of the worst atrocities that's ever happened to America. Again, the yeah. sar- sarcasm is not a skill. Yeah, <laughs> some, some people some people believe that to be true. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. No, I had the same initial response. But when I saw this popping off online, I was like, I want nothing to do with this. But yeah. I. I got weirdly obsessed with it. It was a uh, novel called American Dirt yeah. by a woman named Janine Cummins, and she is white. Uh, she's a quarter Puerto Rican. Self, but she's self-described as white. Self dis- uh, she sometimes calls herself. Well, she recently in re- the, referred to herself as Latina. In the New York, yeah. well, in the New York Times editorial, she says, "I am white," yeah. and then she describes her heritage and background, yeah. but essentially her experience and her privilege yeah. in this society. She's lived her life as a white woman. Yeah. Sure. Her words. Yeah. And, um, you but know, yes, her background is diverse. She's a, yes. a mongrel like the rest of us. Yeah. And she, so the book is about a, um, a middle class Mexican woman who has her family gunned down by a cartel and she and her son have to escape to the States. And, you know, they're getting chased by these scary cartel dudes. They go through all these different parts of Mexico. I've covered some of these blowups in the world of young adult fiction mm-hmm. where like everyone will decide all at once that some book is, is like mind comp, but worse. <laughs> and, and usually what happens is 
like it's often correlated with the book's success. So this book got a seven figure advance. Uh, Oprah picked it for her book club because sold o- the movie rights already. Yep. Um, right. And that, that bigot Oprah, she picked it. <laughs> She's a monster. <clears throat> and so I was sort of watching this blow up unfold. And my initial response was like, I hate to say this, but I was like, if all these people are super mad at it, there's probably something wrong with it. Like she probably did something wrong. And there are these little, you know, her publisher used the barbed wire from the book's cover as like a decorating motif right. at a book party, which is a little bit tasteless. A little, a little distasteful. Yeah. That wasn't her fault. Um, it but, apparently wasn't even the publisher's fault. I mean, the publisher apparently sent the book cover to the florist or something and said, make something based kind of on this is the only motif we have. And they came back. And the florist that. felt inspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But what I mean, is the name of that florist, Mr. Morning? Uh, can we, can we begin it, a yeah, campaign to end It's that? called Racist Florist <laughs> LLC. <laughs> yeah. Never use Racist yeah, Florist yeah, LLC. Yeah. Ironically, run by a Mexican family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where racist has a different meaning. Exactly. Let's go. Um, so I, I looked into some of these sort of searing takedowns written, one in the Times, one in Huffington Post, mm-hmm. and then I, I read the book. I got obsessed enough to just to read the book. And, and did you like the book? It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah it was clear, you oh. know, it was written for like the sort of person who would read a book about like a nice Mexican lady trying to escape the cartels. It's not a in-depth sociological analysis of the migrant experience and and it doesn't pretend to be. Although I think maybe part of the problem was it was like marketed as like the book about yes, this issue. It was. Which again is not Cummins fault. But yeah. um there is there is no comparison between what like uh, I'll use the Times column about this said about the book and mm-hmm. what's in the book. There's just you read one and then you read the other and it's like there's no connection between these two things and it it sort of just got me off on some of the stuff going on in in journalism right now like progressive journalism where there's this real especially on anything social justice this real sort of groupthink and it's very hard for anyone to sort of stand up and say like a given issue is overblown or not being reported correctly and like right. Covington which I think you guys have talked about is another example of that sure. so like there's literal video showing that stuff people are saying is true is not true. And right. it just doesn't this percolate down. Covington is a situation with the young boys who some of which were wearing MAGA hats, especially the one kid who mm-hmm. has a gentleman walk up to him with a drum, beating yep. it in his face. And for the period of almost a week, maybe several days, perhaps. It was a long but busy It was weekend. a while. Yeah. Um, a, the kid was being savaged online and people were demanding that the school take action, perhaps that he be suspended or expelled. He was named. People were prominent. Media personalities were suggesting he should be punched in his face. Rizzo yep. Haslam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. I don't know who it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I have, yes. a, I have this weird tick. I just, just say, <laughs> I say people who used to be on CNN. <laughs> just some context. So, so yes, I mean, I could totally see that. I, I mean, part of what I what I saw though was by the time I caught wind of it, there was the the tour associated with her book that was being canceled yeah. because of death threats. Yeah. And one of the things that surprised me was the immediate reaction, especially in the age of believe women, was nobody is threatening her. The fact that people are upset does not mean that violence is going to be done with to you. Yeah. But it is Definitely the case that the publisher received death threats. No, it's not. The book, heard, the, no, it's been it's Slate actually was covering the story in a piece critical of the author and disclosed that they saw these messages from the publisher. According to people that are critical of the book, uh-huh. many of whom are critical of Jesse too, they had a meeting with Flatiron uh-huh. and they claim that in that meeting that Flatiron, which is a part of Macmillan, said uh-huh. that they did not have any death threats. I thought the bookstores got the death threats. Well, the yeah, book, maybe it was that's the, it. Yeah, well, so yes, that's the bookstores. Exactly. That's, yeah. so actually, she didn't that is get, precisely yeah, what yeah, I meant. The bookstores yeah. were receiving yeah. these threats. Yeah. They were expressing concern to the publisher saying, we cannot 
provide it's just security. a way is that something that's that you can what do? they always do a truism, it's always a security a truism yeah. about death threats in our current social media age is that they are almost always overblown yeah, by pretty the cheap people and easy to come by. who are either using them as an excuse to do a thing that they want to do mm-hmm. um, or who are trying to aggrandize their own self and their own victim. I've, I've gotten death threats. Yeah. Those are from I'm me. I'm trying now. to aggrandize yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just, just, just some strangers on, yeah. From some strangers on Twitter. I'm just yeah. saying, what's up, tough guy? <laughs> why, why is it always going to be about Torrey? I just don't yeah. understand. Yeah. Torrey hasn't threatened me yet. <laughs> I wish he would. Yeah. There's so I, many how things. How many simultaneous beefs do you have? <laughs> so many. We've hit like three already. So many. Ten minutes into the show. So many. I, I, there's Body. so much stuff I want to cut out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, well, when you mentioned Torrey, and then I, I said, didn't mention Torrey. And then I said, I wish he would. There's a different phrase that I wanted to use, yeah, I don't, but I won't please, use please, please, for your please, benefit. Please, just don't. Sorry, yeah. Jesse. No, let me get to the. Um, let me give one example. Huffington Post writes a story by this activist. Mm-hmm. Activist says, "This is such a ridiculous book." She has a scene where uh, Mexicans dip their mm. barbecue chicken in barbecue, <laughs> barbecue sauce. sauce. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> horribly inaccurate cultural. I mean, what a monster! Yeah. That that doesn't exist. Like that doesn't happen anywhere in the book. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> Can I point? Wait, is that really? true? Is That's that true? true? It doesn't happen. Okay, so I want to point this out to you, which you probably know. <laughs> but I point this out to listen. Really? I I I've listened to I think five now uh, NPR programs, like full programs, not like All Things Considered treatments of this. There've been that too. Yeah, uh, Allison Stewart to WNYC, uh, uh, KQED did one. The WAMC, like the one in DC. Everyone's covering this. It's completely overblown. Yeah, and they have a different guests on all of them there's a couple of overlaps and everyone mentions this yeah every like literally everyone mentions this you have a uh a quinceanera party happening in someone's backyard and there are only 16 people and there's barbecue sauce in acapulco mexico so it's like really it's it's terribly terribly inauthentic, and a lot of the book is that way. There is a. Oh, you're sure about this? Yes, I read. I know. I, I know the <laughs> Did scene. Did you like do con- a search yes, on? Yes, and I know the scene. He confused. There's a scene where they mention sauce. Mm. This, I can't believe I have to go into this much detail about this, but it's crazy. Five NPR shows. Yeah, there, there's it's a scene. Everyone mentions after the massacre where um, she associates the smell of sticky a sticky lime sauce with the massacre, and she says she'll never eat barbecue again. That's, but that's it. They they mention at one point barbecue chicken, and then they mention he's also grilling beef. At no point is there barbecue sauce or sauce put on chicken. There's not any sauce put on chicken anywhere in the book. I just Googled <laughs> barbecue sauce and American dirt, and there's several it's, articles. It doesn't happen. But, well, no, but here's the thing. I emailed Huffington Post. Right? Uh-huh. I found out who the editors were. Oh, my god! I'm not going to – this is what a fucking yeah. obsessed loser I've become. Such a weirdo. I'm a fucking weirdo. <laughs> there I was, naked, <laughs> emailing HuffPost editors. Slathered in barbecue sauce. <laughs> uh, I emailed – and I was just like, this doesn't happen. Well, first I emailed the guy who claimed it happened. Uh-huh. And he was like, no, there's a scene where they dip it in barbecue. And no, <laughs> there just isn't. And then I emailed HuffPost and they just, they won't correct it. There's still wow. a, just a made up claim. You can do which a Google Let me spread it. No one gives a shit you're about not the truth. The, you're not the loser here. Whenever they rely on one or two anecdotes, yes. like I always presume that this must be the example of the thing that they're so concerned about. And what I kept seeing was this book is racist. It's absolutely awful. This is terrible. I can't believe anything like this was published. We need to stop this immediately. And I've I've yet to see the example of that. Jesse um, is a nerd about this and he actually writes something. I'm just a nerd about it and I don't do anything. So he's actually (laughs) doing something with it. So I give him credit. A fake pilot of a TV show. But yeah, that's nothing. Well, it's actually in the pilot. Yeah. Um, So... 
there was Allison Stewart, who has a show on WNYC, used to be a, I think, a, a VJ or something on MTV. Or she was an MTV news, news uh, an- correspondent. Yeah, anchor, yeah. Oh. yeah. So she um, asks this critic, who's the one who pops up most frequently, um, what do you, what are the problems with the book? And, you know, what do, what do uh, the reviews get wrong? Which, by the way, I think is an incredible thing to say. What do the reviews get wrong? Maybe the person just liked the book. A review can't get it wrong. Right. So then he, they say, what's like wrong with the book? And he says, I can't. I, I think it's like insulting that I have to enumerate these things. And it's it's like, I don't I don't think I should have to. I'm a member of this community. And you During should trust the interview, me. He, was, he went on. He doesn't want to explain. He, yes. And yeah. he said, I like I'm a member of the community. You should trust the people in the community. You know, we gave one example. But could you give a couple of other examples that you recognize? Recognize that there was something amiss in this book. Um, yeah, I mean, some of them. The, the thing is, I, I'll tell you some things, but I just want to preface this by saying um, this: this kind of enumeration is a little annoying at, at some point because we also kind of wish people would like would just understand. Like, if we're telling you that this book is inaccurate, then yeah, I, my telling you the inaccuracy without your having the cultural background mm-hmm. to understand the inaccuracy is a little odd. But I'll give you a couple examples. So, but then um, he's like, okay, if I have to. And for all this this hubbub, right? And, you know, you have Selma Hayek, the actress, r- renouncing her support for the book on Instagram and saying she's sorry for holding it up. I and mean, she clearly didn't read it. But this is what he <laughs> says in the book. And Jesse will understand this stuff because he read the book. Um, uh, said, said that the swear words that uh, that the narcos use are like kind of like, you know, 1960s or 70s, where it's not strong enough. There should be a strong enough swear. Strong enough swear. She has money, and she's tra- traveling to, to, to the U.S., $15,000 or something. Why didn't she fly to Canada? That was the thing. I, I mean... Like, well, hold on. That, that's <laughs> yeah. This was the... Again, obsessed weirdo. The New York Times column, is if that's David Bowles, he wrote it. New York Times column, second sentence, pointing out how ridiculous this book is. Why didn't she just fly to Canada? The book... Spends thousands of words explaining why she doesn't fly to Canada. She goes, she, I'm, I'm dead serious. She goes to the fucking airport. There's a thousands of words long scene. She waits in line. She goes to the ticket taker. She says, I will have two tickets to Tijuana, which I think is where she's trying to fly from. Uh-huh. The woman says, uh, do you have the document showing this is your kid? Like, that this is actually your kid. She says no. She can't, she can't, she tried to buy a plane ticket in the book. It explains everything. It also explains why she took this particular fucking train because she is a pretty wealthy lady and she doesn't want the cartel henchmen to look at the places of what, like every yeah. element of this is explained in the book. Wait, is this is, the train that she threw her kid onto? Yeah, uh, and that was also a complaint. You can't throw a kid onto yes, a train. Yes, because it's yeah. too action packed. It's too action packed. That, that was what? also, it was like, it was uh, cartoonish. This, uh, and I'm like, wait, what? Are we. Are we literally having like hour long television, like uh, radio broadcasts about whether or not it's realistic? So I have I have two things you can't answer, Jesse. And I know that you don't have answers for because in the same interview, he said the kid, one of the kids names is Luca. That's an odd name for a Mexican kid. That's what the, this is a complaint. Wow. I swear to God. I, I swear to God. Wow. I heard, I heard because by the way, you have to indulge in stereotypes that nobody <laughs> who's kind of rich could ever have gone to America and like gotten a taste for barbecue sauce because they're Mexican and Mexicans don't do that because they're all one lump and have the same ideas. So you ideas have to name and you can't your Mexican have child Juan. You, you, yes, you can't. So look at and my favorite one that was I literally in every criticism, everyone. I don't know anything about this because I'm a dummy, but conchas, which is apparently some version of a like a donut or something, a pastry. The the uh, some cartel guys trying to woo this rich lady and brings her a box of conchas. Uh, she's being wooed by this 
um, elegant man who's actually a, a cartel leader, and he brings her a box of, of conchas. First of all, conchas you would never put in a box. The conchas are greasy, and conchas are not greasy in Mexico. And you don't woo a woman by bringing her, like, the cheapest pastry. It's like the cheapest pastry in Mexico, the kind that you that you buy a bunch of cause, to give, like, little kids so they'll shut up and <laughs> eat their sweets. There's just all these little things. Every person says, this is hilarious. A rich cartel guy is going to bring conscious. This is, these are like donuts. That'd be like if somebody brought you a donut. The last version of this I heard, <laughs> by the way, this is how serious this is. In every NPR broadcast of this, every single one took it deadly seriously and criticized her. Nobody was defending her. Yeah. And at the end of it, this guy says, guy says, you don't put conscious in a box. I'm not joking. What? Anthony, I heard, heard yeah, this. Yeah, that was the I uh, swear the to Allison God. Stewart episode. This is uh, this oh is completely God. bananas. And they have the one of the episodes. They have her on. I think it was maybe one of the few interviews she did, she did. And she's on at the end for this ritual humiliation. Which uh, an episode just, that begins with like uh, critics saying this book is racist, and I can't believe I was asked to even review a racist book. It, it is. A person calls in on the WNYC one and says, "I bought the book, but should I read it?" No. They was like, should I no, read no, no. it? Buy, that was a question. Should I, more copies. <laughs> should, I, should, should I read this book or am I going to be infected by the information <laughs> because she gets donuts in a box and we don't do donuts in a box and the guy's quite rich. I, I, I like, I, what I, are you talking about? I, I think I've, I figured out the right analogy here because I think if you haven't read it, it's hard to understand how the incredible amount of bullshit being sung on this. If someone criticized Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, if they were like, well, it made no sense they would try to destroy that ring because the ring makes you invisible. <laughs> that's that's the level of critique and knowledge yeah. of the plot we're working yeah. with. Like it, it, yeah. Uh, By the way, it's a very good point about Lord of the Rings. Super good. <laughs> <laughs> you, so Fatal flaw. I just wanted you guys. Huge, oh my gosh. Huge flaw. Which but the thing about it is, I Joanne feel... Reed talking about Batman and the Joker. Which oh, which she, she clearly has no idea. She doesn't know who those people are. But Jesse, question for you is: What I heard, I heard her on that on the radio uh, broadcast. And she's like, she is like, my life is totally, she says, I'm never going to write a book again. Mm-hmm. She's wow. already sat, I, I she already has. She, she doesn't have to. She got she's a balling. million and a half. So well, but no, that's not, that's no, not no, no, money, no, 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 no. Well, the thing that I mentioned, I think it was on the Patreon stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not fifth column. When you never fly <laughs> coach, like it but runs this, out. But you know, this is part of it, by the way. Everyone talks to her about the money immediately. Let's talk about the money. Like, yeah. wait, what? Like you're gonna begrudge this woman because she wrote a book that Oprah loved and people loved, yes. mm. and yes, you know actually. for for getting the money. Like we usually say, novels, you know, in the world of publishing get the lowest advances because yeah. mm. there's so many of them, and they one out of a million does well. They put a lot of money into this. They got Oprah. Like good for her, right? But no, not good for her. She there was the Guardian headline which I loved, which said, you know, why isn't this million dollar advance going to like a Mexican? And, like, and as I said before, it's not a grant. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like write a great, great book. And someone called into that WNYC show who used to work in publishing, and she's a Mexican American woman. She was like, no, it was it was always and we were always trying to bring authors in. We were we did like like a, a series, like a major publishing house, to bring in like Latin American authors, South American authors, etc. But the narrative the critics are using is they're using this, of course, to go, they get a sit down. They get a sit down with the publisher. These are people who don't have anything to do with the book. Mm-hmm. They get a sit down with the publisher and four of Oprah's representatives call in to the sit down and they get concessions from them. It's just like college. Every time they took over a building, they would get concessions like, okay, we'll hire more. It was always like hiring more uh, minority staff or whatever it might be. And one of the guys who is doing this, like, I think it's Lozada or something. It was a big last name, because of L. But I go to his Twitter feed and he's got like four tweets defending Maduro. 
I'm like, these are the people. This is the caliber of person you're dealing with here. Well, it's these are fringe people. Yeah, no, I, but I think that speaks to the incentives, right? Because like I, I'm working on a piece for um for the site Unheard where I talk about uh the guy who did the Times column, Bowles. He he did not read the book, so he writes a Medium article that shows he didn't read the book because he's not familiar with the plot. Well, he doesn't for, want to get infected with your racism. Yeah, exactly. He can't read it. It's yeah. like a fucking yeah, Indiana can, Jones. It's like dripping from your lips off. at yeah. this point. I can tell. <laughs> Have right. I told you how eloquent you are in Zapper? <laughs> you mean clean and articulate? Clean and articulate. Yeah. Um, no, but he like, Thank so you. you write a Medium post where anyone who reads a book will be like, you didn't read the book. He gets rewarded for it. He gets a sit down. He gets a column in the New York Times yeah. all for just being full of shit. And I don't know. It shouldn't be controversial that like the people who criticize a book should read the book. I yeah. don't understand how anyone could disagree with that. Um, there was an accusation of plagiarism too, which seems totally dude, crazy. It's fucking, so they, someone did um, one of the other, the HuffPost article. Yeah. Here's the actual argument of the article. She used real life elements in her book and then credited the Mexican authors. In an and sent note. him a book with a personal note on it, by the way. So can you extract a criticism from that? This novel included real life elements that she credited to the people. Like yeah. what? What did? Yeah, that's, that's called what cultural appropriation. And right. she is a presumptuous monster. Well, I will say one final is that thing. Good sarcasm, Matt Welch? But, but no, it was terrible. <laughs> but, presumed to be terrible. The the thing about it that scared me is on on public radio, the five things that I listen five things that I listened to, not a single one was even remotely sympathetic to this woman. Not mm -hmm. one. But that's what I, I mean. I, and I'm it's, not it's like, being like Brent Bozell on this. Yeah. This is like literally trying to find some measure of sympathy and the interview with her. I felt bad for the woman. I mean, she she was like, I'm not going to write another book. I like don't know what's going on. This is totally crazy. I was doing this. And of course, this is what you get. Because her like explanation this is I am trying to enlighten people mm -hmm. in the era of Donald Trump and humanize immigrants this is the purpose of this book and there is a didactic kind of thing was i want people to learn from this that immigrants are humans etc and it's like no you don't you know and then every single person that comes on to criticize you realize that they're so far outside of the mainstream which is like media in general these days yep. if you look at that sort of hidden tribe study is using the phrase white gaze right that keeps coming up oh is it her white gaze on this you know, and, and like, you know, um, at one point you point out in your in your um, newsletter, which I thought was great, is one point like it's they're making the the Mexican uh, immigrants uh, or the culture seem totally violent. And then then four sentences later, it's not violent enough. No, the same. Yeah. Same sentence. One of these guys says uh, she presents Mexico as a horrible, dangerous place. Then also there isn't enough rape. The migrants don't get raped enough. Yeah. So, I, it, so so many of the reviews seem crazy. to have all that those kind of bizarre contradictions. It's it's obviously racist. She doesn't know anything about the place. The there's someone else is upset that the protagonist is astonished to learn just how much violence there is, that there are rapes that take place. Which is itself rape. That's that you're saying every Mexican well, is that's just, just in it. with the cart. That's, the, that's well, no, racist. Or, and every Mexican ought to know that these are just facts of life, that these bad things happen. Right. And then other folks are upset because America is presented as this wonderful paradise <laughs> that you can escape to. Right. Which I you mean, can. my favorite critique was that. U.S. complicity of the drug trade wasn't discussed. So the idea is well, this woman and her son, as they're fleeing the cartels, are just going to wait. Yeah. Luca, as these guys are taking us down, let's talk about the geopolitics surrounding our yeah. situation before we jump on the train. But, but that's my kid. If he can make the jump onto the train safely while it's 50, moving at 120 miles per hour. of this criticism. Yeah. 
if I would be so generous to call it criticism, uh-huh. is uh, that this person didn't write the book that I wanted yeah, them to exactly. write. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's it's not, you shouldn't review. And, and, and one, like, I'll actually make this the final thought of this. Is that it won't be. No, it won't I have one more. I have one more. I have one more. I'm warming up the bullpen. For me, it'll be the final thought. I promise. I'll just walk out right now. I promise. I'll just drop the mic and walk out. It's fine. This thing that you get something wrong, right? And as Jesse points out, these things aren't actually wrong. But let's pretend that she gets a, a phrase wrong in, in, in Spanish or whatever. That, who cares? Yeah. Because I, I remember um, William Volman, the, the great novelist, has a book called Europe Central, which is a big doorstop of a book. And it's a, it's a good book. On the second page, there is such an amazing era error that you would notice if you actually knew about the stuff, but nobody else would notice, right? right? But it's like, it's an error. It's like a weird error. And I, I was like, oh, fuck, a guy fucked it up on the second page. Yeah. And on, if you can find this, by the way, Europe Central, page two, if you can find it, I will, I don't know. Give you a free Patreon episode. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Yeah, that, like, it is, it's, it's like, and so what? The guy, it's still a great novel. Well, People make mistakes. Th- this is driven by opportunism and narcissism. And, and I guess my actual last point would be, um, I thought it was a fine novel. I, I didn't love it. I thought it was good. Some parts I didn't love, but. Three and it, a half stars? Eh, three. Out of, okay. out of 4.25. Okay. Uh I saw people claiming that this book would harm migrants or, mm. like, make people think worse. If a million Americans who are ignorant about this stuff read this book, not a single one of them would come out of it feeling more negatively toward migrants. It absolutely humanizes migrants, not just the main characters or other characters from Guatemala and Honduras. <laughs> it is exactly the kind of fiction you should want to write. And yes, it does not get every fucking detail about the Spanish, right? But that is not, that is something you only mention, notice if you're a radical Maduro supporting yeah. Chicano yeah. studies type. Seriously, this was, this was written for women in Ohio. That was very stereotypical. Of me. Yep, that's okay. White women in Ohio, honkies. Yeah. Yes, that double down. Good. Right. No, this, <laughs> written, this is written for an audience of people who are not familiar with Mexico or migrants. It will absolutely it does humanize migrants. I don't. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the number one book in the country, man. Right. It's also so, number one. Yeah, I want to so, direct. I want no direct a question to you right. related to that. No, so I want to talk more. Get that from you <laughs> as as you're responding because I know you have other things to say. One of the critiques I saw suggested that there there ought to be some guidelines for when you decide to write from another person's perspective. Nope. And I, I wonder if you think any of this is true, nope. that you should be asking yourself why you're deciding to write from this other person's perspective. And you should also ask, do you read writers from this community? And then you should also ask, why do you want to tell this story? Are any of those questions worth asking when you're writing from someone else's vantage point? And does it matter if your goal is to try to persuade an American audience. Like, wouldn't the best person to persuade an American audience probably be an American who would know exactly what parts of your culture to obliterate I'm and exaggerate? I'm fine with people who are generating art or works um, asking themselves whatever questions that they I – would, I would presume that you would have a why am I doing this while you're doing something. Mm. Uh, I ask myself why I'm doing this right now while I'm doing <laughs> it. I'm definitely asking myself that. <laughs> and it's mostly because, wow, this whiskey's good, It's man. really good. Um, it's but, delicious. Uh, but that, that kind of actually sort of leads to something, especially the perspective, because I think part of the critique is actually not a critique. Uh, of the of the works and it, it might even be a little bit distortionary to lump it all in that direction because a lot of it i think stems from people 
who are themselves Latino in America and who know and who've been marinating in great Latino writers or who are themselves great Latino writers. Um, and I realize it's a nonsensical phrase, or at least it's a weird phrase for me to utter, but let's just uh, table that, um, who say, why her? Right. Yeah. This is this is something that uh, we've talked about before, but like working backwards from success, you work backwards from, OK, she got the Oprah. She got the million dollar advance. She got more than almost any single Latino author has ever gotten in America. And so you look around and say, why wasn't it this other one here? And in fact, one of the uh, biggest objects of people's ire here was, and I'm going to get her name wrong probably, but isn't it Sandra Cisneros, a Latina uh, uh, author who's beloved, and she was an initial big supporter of the book. And yeah. I think she's walked it back a little bit, but it's, it's, mm. it's unclear. But anyways, it's sort of a, it's working backwards from success and saying, uh, why is this bad? And, and And I want to sort of throw this open as a, as a something to grapple with. So like, you know, do you remember when Mississippi burning like came out? A lot of people were like really happy that there was a story about civil rights in 1964 and, 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 and all the unpleasantness. And then there were some other people saying, why does it always have to be the white savior in this? And so, and, and, that, and another way of thinking about this, maybe even the 1619 project one, People who criticize the authors of the 1619 Project at some point say, look, there's something about just the, the, the velocity of the opposition to this that makes you – makes the critics of this seem a little suspect. And maybe aren't we doing that uh, somehow? It seems to me that like – that the – we are reacting to the craziness of the opposition to this. And it is crazy. And, it, and, and it's effective, too. It's, it's crazy and it's, a, and it's effective. But might it also just be, a, be, in addition to that, a case of people saying, why her? It's unfair for that to be her. It should be us or it should be somebody else. It should be someone better than all of that. Then show like, you know, honestly, uh, those are two different things in a way yeah. is that is that yeah. if if you want to say that there's underrepresentation or people are not being picked up because of their background and we should focus more on this, because, you know, just from a publishing perspective, you have a growing part of the population that, you know, yeah, I mean, they just see that as, a, as an opportunity to sell books. And I'm I'm absolutely certain I should know this for a fact that there are people that are trying to do just that to lock in readers, both in Spanish, in the U.S. and in English. But the other the other thing is like, that's a separate thing from you cannot write this because it's your background. And beyond that is like, you know, sh they don't tell you the book that it should have been. They tell you like, well, there's these authors that write and like some of them are sort of experimental. Some of them are. Not. I mean, this is a mainstream book. This is a, like, you know, a, a shoot 'em up kind of dramatic thriller, et cetera. Like, I've read just only bits of it, but would, I... Would I, you want John Woo or Jerry Brockheimer to direct the movie? Uh, both of them. Got if they it. could do both of them. Brockheimer's a producer. Yeah. He, he could produce it. Oh, right. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Don't white-splain it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch y'all's pictures. Yeah. I don't watch those. But yeah, no, I just think that's... It's, it's If you have a book, an example of something that was in a similar genre, in a, a similar type book... That was overlooked. Okay. Maybe she has a better agent. There's a million factors here. And if you just want to say like representation, okay, well then just say that. Don't don't go and say this woman's white gaze and she can't write about this, et cetera. That's just silly. Although when you talk about representation, it reminds me of the Academy Awards, which I've been obsessing over of late because I've taken on the ridiculous and completely absurd and probably unnecessary project of going through 
all of the people who have been nominated for <laughs> best actor or supporting best supporting actor or best actress and best supporting actress since 1980 and determining whether or not there's any sort of detail about how they've self-identified or what their pedigree is, like where their family is from, so that I can assign to them some sort of race and then try and figure out whether or not the actual nomination process has been particularly discriminatory based on not merely percentage of the population, which is a stupid way to actually go about assessing whether or not it's fair. It's not the population that is going to determine that. It's probability based on whether or not you're, say, in the Screen Actors Guild or something like that. Like those things might actually be instructive, in which case if we were doing that based on a study from UCLA, it's like 90 percent of directors are like white people and most of them are men. Granted, you're actually going to have the same number of nominations for men and women because the categories for acting are different. But in either case, when it comes to race, every indication – Every indication that black people have been nominated at a rate that is probably consistent with the proportion with which they're represented, even more than that, probably overrepresented in that respect. But more to the point for acting, not for for acting, not for directing. Um, Although there's (gasps) been three African-American dudes nominated for best director um, over the course of like the last like 15 odd years, which is not so insane. It's not crazy. Um, It's also not crazy for there to be years where black people don't get nominated in those categories because when you talk about Oscar nominations, you're actually talking about this really rarefied space where only an elite percentage of the population of actors are likely to get nominations. In many cases, the same person is getting two and three nominations over the course of their career, sometimes eight. It is a very small universe of people that get those nominations. The fact that it excludes black people routinely is not so shocking. What's astonishing is that there have been multiple years where there's been essentially a blackout. Like 40% of the slots go to black guys. Black people aren't even 12% of the (laughs) population. Just just two out of five, man. Two out of five is actually a pretty big deal when we're talking about 12 odd percent of the population. If anything, like if there's going to be concern about a something so something, it should probably be NBA so black. (laughs) <laughs> because where where is my Larry Bird? Is it Luka yeah. Doncic? Yeah. Is is it him? Is that what's going on? Porzingis? I don't know. Maybe so. No, but he's gotten a little big. He's not really taking care of himself. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'm picturing you clicking through all these photos of nominees with a pair of calipers. Oh, he's the reach of his. Well, I, I basically do it by, by size of the skull. Yeah. Yeah. That's mean, what I use to we determine watch, people's race. When we were watching clips of the American Dirt uh, author, come on, I'm talking. You know, correct mm-hmm. me. I'm talking out of school. This wasn't mm-hmm. uh, live. Camille's like, I don't know if she's white. I said, I said, I think I might have said she's white. That's it. Well, I mean, she's, she's white. Not. She's core. I mean, I said, I said, I said she dusky. <laughs> she's dusky. Yeah. You know, I think that's what you said. Yeah, yeah. dusky. It's because a word I, I use I, all the time. I think it's verbatim what you said. Yeah, yeah. And which is in fine. The same, and not at all racist. In the same, in the same voice too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's dusky. not the normal Camille yeah. voice. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's a lot of switching in this episode. Well, there's no verb. Yeah. She dusky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> verb. Verb's not necessary. Well, there was a verb, but it starts with a B and it's completely oh, appropriate. No. God, it's like, you're really killing Come on. Story. Come on. This is fun. Yeah. It's fun. Listen, this is in honor of Andrew Yang, who, I mean, <laughs> Yang his, Yang. his greatest <laughs> moment on the campaign trail was the time he used the whipped cream to simulate an orgasm into two different people's mouths. I know. Didn't you do that multiple times? Actually? Banks yeah. of cameras around. Was there multiple times? <laughs> 
It was multiple incidents. Well, because of you guys were passing around on the uh, on the uh, the text string of that recently, right? Yeah. But like he'd done that six weeks. No, ago. No, no, I resurfaced it because okay. I thought yeah. it was so extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, That's a guy who knows he's not going to win. <laughs> <tweets>. <laughs> yeah. So three out of the five of us, at least, yeah. I don't know about Jesse, have interviewed the guy. I'm not. Is that true? You haven't interviewed him? Yeah. No, so no. no. So uh, one thing, quick, from each of you. Mm-hmm. One impression. One one anecdote. One cupping uh, with Andrew Yang. Well, what can you tell us? Andrew Yang is completely wrong about automation and totally right about the NCAA. And I'm sorry that he's gone. Yeah. And I mean that. Andrew Yang's uh, news ombudsman idea was terrible. Yes. And he, uh, <laughs> he quietly removed it from his website. But when I asked him about it afterwards, he still was kind of giving me a bit of a kidney punch saying, I think you, I think you're wrong. And I think you're overreacting. I think that there's no way you could keep information (laughs) off the internet. And I was like, well, that's the whole point of this ombudsman that you have proposed is that it would take fake news off the internet using the force of government. And he said, I don't see it that way. So that was, that was the last uh, dust up I had with him. But overall, I liked him a lot. Nice that that you don't see it. I mean, just the, the, uh, an incredibly nice guy, absolutely out to lunch when it comes to automation. Um, the UBI stuff is, is, I think that's why people, it didn't, I think that stuff did not resonate with people because it seems too good to be true and kind of crazy. Like a guy running around throwing a thousand dollars at people does not seem like a real candidate. And I think actually it, it, it harmed him more than it helped him. But I think that more than anything, it, it was good to see a Democrat in the race speaking, uh, forcefully and forthrightly about the stupidity of identity politics in a lot of ways. And he, he was just like, didn't, he didn't play that at all. And people tried to criticize him for, you know, the math stuff and like the Asian jokes he was making himself. And the fact that Dave Chappelle was his, his, his biggest, um, um, supporter, you know, I mean, his most famous supporter who has done some pretty, pretty strong stuff when it comes to jokes about Asians. And he, he's like, no, it's fine. While being married to an Asian. Yeah. 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 Well, that was, that was one of the most, quote unquote offensive jokes. And the last one was he was talking about doing the Asian voice to his wife, <laughs> uh, which, was, which he then, of course, does in the most comically overdrawn way. So, yeah, he's funny. Yeah. By the way, uh, to, to, to th- when you said the force of the government, to that was the craziest thing, which I told you guys to listen to and put a time code in of that. The interview with the guy, what you said is that you texted me his name. That was that's the same. Yeah. yeah so that, that, I didn't make the connection until afterwards. But Jesse had been referencing David Bowles, his very, very bad review where he didn't read the book. That was the guest on the that was the guest Stewart the show. Yeah. But he said, like he, he said in this meeting, um, you know, we're trying to get them to get, you know, more authors uh, from the the I think he said Latinx community or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, until we can get, like, government involved to make that happen, mm-hmm. that, uh, swear did, to God. Did he really say yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, swear to God. What the hell is yeah. wrong with these people? Yeah. Like, uh, literally, they want the government to be involved in telling McMillan how many, how many. I think yeah, it's Donald crazy. Trump would be really good at this. Uh, uh, like, I mean, yeah. A special exactly. skill. No, no, it's the government they like, Matt. It's never the government they don't like. Yeah. Uh, Executive the power. government they don't like will never be allowed to use these permanent tools. Yeah, yeah exactly. The <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry well, to Jesse, bring it back before, to before we leave, the American Dirt, a book that you are incredibly passionate about, <laughs> has received your endorsement. Very important to you personally, obviously. Magical, sensual experience reading it. You know, before I read it, I hated migrants, but... Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. you really hate Luke migrants. War, lukewarm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Actually, cool. wait, I had a Yang thing. Oh, did my, Yang, my final observation. Oh, good. I just think between his, his frat boy antics, mm. fascination with technology, 
UBI obsession, arguably the whitest Democratic candidate. Ooh, mm-hmm. that thing, right? is a racist is take. Sizzling. Also racist. Um, but it seems like we've firmly pivoted to New Hampshire in the primary. Yeah. So maybe we can well spend done. a little bit of time talking about that. Um, the the primary is over. Sanders, Buttigieg, Klobuchar. Um, Klobuchar coming in with 19.8. And moments during the night, it looked like she might be a little closer. Either way, this is a massive improvement over her previous performance in Iowa. Um, lower down the list, Warren with 9.2% and Biden with 8.4%. Biden Fifth never place. expected to do well. He certainly pre-Iowa didn't expect to do this badly. And he this is an enormously in bad showing. in New Hampshire on January 15th. This is he was leading crazy. in crazy. the polls. I think this he was is leading in the polls in Iowa. This is cratering. I think it's fair to describe it as that. Obviously, Joe Biden is not getting out of the race because Biden is he is desperate to push the nomination race into the South. He is excited about it. He is mm-hmm. waiting to get into the safety of his ebony firewall. <laughs> is that good? Do you like that? I have a couple more. I was in a, ba- I was in a like... band named Ebony Firewall. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer if you didn't have more. How about, how about his magical negro? No. I used the Spanish pronunciation, yeah. so I didn't have to say Negro. Oh my Backstop. Yeah. How does that? That I really also works. I, I really wish I didn't show up today. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about not I have, coming. I have one it. more. Yeah. His okay. dark dam. Uh, you get okay. it? Dark? What? It's a dark dam. It, it doesn't it's a, work. The alliteration. Yeah. If, yeah. He, if he loses in South Carolina and drops out, it could be the headline could be The Great Black Nope. Is that wow. parse? Wow. Is that parse? Yeah. I don't really sort get of. it. Did you the see Great it? White Hope. Oh, The Great White Hope. The, the Great, great Black, black yeah. Nope. Yeah. Camille, yeah. did you see because Biden's uh, speech last night, which was in South Carolina? Corn pop. <laughs> you talking about corn pop? In addition to being, you know, classic 2020 Biden, which is like, you know, within eight words, nothing makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just nothing. Brain is cheese. Um, he was just like stumbling into, oh, I know. Uh, this is ninety nine percent black folks and brown folks didn't vote. Like he was, that's like he wasn't subtle about it at yeah. all. He's like, I've got the firewall and it ain't one. And that's amazing because he has such a history of being subtle. This is this is Joe. They gonna put y'all back in chains. By Romney wants to let the. He said in the first hundred days he's gonna let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. I want to shout out a person who I've criticized a thousand times in the world named David Diane. He's a liberal journalist who I disagree with. But he pointed out on, on, uh, on Twitter, Joe Biden not only has never won a prime presidential primary, not even once, he's never finished higher than fourth. Wow. <laughs> never. Oh. He's been running for president since before at least two or three of you were born. <laughs> Seriously. I, I just mean, wrote a column on this. He's had one competitive election in his life. It was his first senatorial election when he beat the incumbent by one percentage point. Every wow. other Senate race was a cakewalk in the 48th most populous state in the country. Wow. wow. And he didn't even make it to voting in 1988. He dropped out first. Had some problems. Yeah, and he think he made it <laughs> one contest in uh, 2008. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I might thing about New Hampshire uh, that I think is underplayed, although some people are noticing it, is that you have the backyard of the progressive wing of the party. Elizabeth Warren is from Massachusetts. Bernie Sanders is from Vermont. Um, uh, and 
this entire race you've had, uh, if you lump people in various categories, the center lane has always been bigger than the progressive lane um, by five or ten percentage points. And the polling until the last moment in this one was center lane 47 percent, progressives 41. Right. Again, and which is pretty normal uh, nationwide and, um, and, and, and elsewhere, except this is the backyard of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. People exactly know right. these people for yeah, a long time. Yeah. What happens – between that last poll, 47 to 41, and the actual voting. Actual voting, it's 53 to 38, center versus progressive. They okay. lost at the last and minute. And that's particularly yeah. relevant given last the last performance of, um, Bernie, Sanders. of Bernie Sanders. 60%. Who, who won by like 40%. Yeah. Which was, but admittedly, a, a two-person race yeah. and whatnot. Of but I'll, like, I'll accept that it's a two-person race. In either case, what becomes very difficult to justify is the prognostication from some over-eager columnists who perhaps wrote their Atlantic column before the election <laughs> results came in, <laughs> suggesting that last night, Tuesday night, was the night socialism went mainstream because of Bernie Sanders' overwhelming victory. I think only managing to secure south of 30 percent in that contest can hardly be described as the but, night but, socialism But this is what the, the takeaway from this, in a way, and I'm sure we're all probably guilty of this too, is that every time you open the paper the next day or open Twitter following a poll or following a primary or a caucus, the conventional wisdom is exactly what the poll or the results say. So mm -hmm. no one is, I mean, remember, you know, that Joe Biden was just the guy to beat. He's a shoe in right? And that was, and Elizabeth, or Elizabeth Warren, there was a big Warren thing. Nobody is prognosticating down the line saying, yeah, I don't know if they have staying power for, you know, Joe Biden's bumbling incoherence reason or Elizabeth Warren being too progressive and not reaching out to the center enough. Like, I mean, the, the, the thing that now it's time to anoint Bernie Sanders and say, well, socialism's won because that was last night's contest. <laughs> right. And then we'll see what happens. Maybe he flames out. Maybe maybe Klobuchar, who's no one's said boo about for 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 months. Just kind of, you know, we'll see. I mean, the big thing about, about this is fundraising. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bernie is going to do pretty well off this. And Klobuchar will do quite well off this. I think we'll see a lot of people abandoning those who have been, who have been, um, you know, in the back quite a bit, like, mm -hmm. like uh, uh, Joe Biden. And I mean, Elizabeth, I, Elizabeth, Warren, Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren should, <laughs> I, I mean, she's just wasting her time. Right? I don't know why she's still in the race. It's very strange. Uh, perhaps she's being vindictive towards Bernie Sanders. But is, is, isn't part of it just everyone's weight? Because Biden is going to, drop out and he supports do, yeah do you think he will yeah well i was gonna ask you guys actually i, I mean i i think he's he's doomed in the long run i'm curious um people who follow it closer to me which i think is all of you like what what is the range of outcomes in south carolina where he would just call it then and there well, the, problem, the problem is the calendar so the calendar is nevada is in what fish 10 days and then south carolina after that and then south carolina happens just a matter of days before a super tuesday, super tuesday election which is 14 states. So you're not going to drop out between those. And, two for, and many of those states are proportional in the delegate uh, allocation, including California, which is just a ginormous state. Right. So um, that said... And voting is already happening for Super Tuesday. Yes, it point. is. Yeah. Um, but that said, Biden's collapsing, right? He was at 46% in South Carolina in the summer. He's at 27 now. He's, he's actually dead. Um, he's Sanders is ahead dead. of him nationwide. Um, the black vote has been like running, f screaming from him, which has been his firewall for to a long Mike time. To Mike Bloomberg. Also collapsed in Nevada. He had, a, he had a pretty steady lead in Nevada. Now he's behind Sanders. So uh, and but Nevada is really interesting because uh, the labor unions there don't like Sanders at all. And they're dropping bombs on him for Medicare for all huh. because it's going to take away your Cadillac uh, labor negotiated 
uh, uh, healthcare plans. Although he has tried to describe some sort of carve out for them, hasn't he? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that they're they are are mad and spending a lot of money there. Well, I'm glad that judges. Bernie Sanders, who is a man of principle, is going to find a carve out for a huge voting <laughs> block that could be very beneficial to it's him. It's almost like AB, <laughs> AB five in California. They're really? carving hey, out. Hey, they're a, not billionaires. That's yeah. the really important point. Oh no, they are. <laughs> I, I feel like part of union the, certainly. Is. I feel like part of what's tricky about this is like Biden has been the front runner, a big chunk of the race, but it's not because people like him. It's because no. they think he's electable. So no. you, I think it. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that makes it harder to prognosticate where his support. Correct. Would go. I'd certainly say that's true, except we, we have seen some of these polls about people's second choices. Yeah. And we talked about this before Iowa and the fact of the matter, he was no one's second choice. Yeah. And that is almost certainly what did him in in Iowa. And I don't know that it will help him down the line. But who are his voters second choices? It's it's not it's not clear, especially um, going into oh, the South. Quite a few. Sanders, Bloomberg, which well, is, that's what I'm curious about. Bloomberg oh. is picking up a lot of the support, though, that seems to be bleeding off of Biden at this point. Sure, uh, Bloomberg and uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar. Um, mm-hmm. There's, I'm, I am more, more Bloomberg than the other two. I think uh, it's not, it's not that clear. Okay, I think um, I'm a, a an over. Uh, uh, what, what do you say about us not being a liberal? We, we index. Over index. For so I over index towards uh, lane theory. Mm-hmm. And part of that is from the experience of the 2016 Republican campaign, which a lot of people are comparing in certain ways to the Democratic campaign because you mm. have an outsider coming in. Although he's not that far outside, to be sure, but um, but a person that the other more establishment candidates don't really want to attack because they're terrified of the base voters and the passion that they have uh, for him. So this is Trump in 2015, 16 and, and Sanders this time. Uh, right. But the thing is, the lane that Trump was in, which, for lack of a better word, um, bat shit, crazy outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the Ben <laughs> Ben Carson. Uh, is in there. Uh, Trump is in there. Um, was always, and you can even put uh, Carly Fiorina. Although that's probably not, uh, not right, but uh, that seems a little unfair. Uh, but to Ben Carson, uh, <laughs> very unfair. <laughs> always. Um, but uh, the lane about uh, of people who you might uh, consider to be establishmentarian in any way, so your Chris Christie, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, etc., was consistently from the beginning of the campaign, even predating Donald Trump, but certainly after he came in, was never more than twenty five percent. It just wasn't. They it became John Kasich later. Like it comes with different names, just like the progressive lane this time. You know, sometimes it's Bernie at twenty two and Elizabeth Warren at six, and sometimes that kind of reverses or whatever. But like the lane itself remains pretty constant. Bernie's lane uh, is is small. It's smaller than the center lane. And in moments of panic, it constricts. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to watch what did people do who decided in the last 24 hours. I think what I saw is something along the lines of in New Hampshire, 29 percent went for uh, Buttigieg, 23 percent for Klobuchar or Mm. like flipped. But Mm. like more than half went to those two people. So, like, you're deciding at the last minute. And one of the reasons why this is a difficult thing to prognosticate on an individualized basis is that, like, when are people going to realize that Joe Biden's brain is made of cheese and he's not electable anymore? <laughs> you said that about the about the poll, you know, days or, you know, how many days before New Hampshire. And I saw a number today and it was extraordinarily high of the number of people that decided in New Hampshire in the yes. last. What, what was it? It, was like, it seemed like it was over 40 percent or something. No, I think it was like tw- uh, at least of, of the last 40 percent. The last 24 hours, I thought I thought it was more like 25 percent, but whatever. It was it's a it huge was, it number. Was a big number. number, and yeah. that's and that's a classic gap between idiots like us who talk about this and the the politics consuming public who yeah. have a completely different 
take on this. And one of the takes is that you don't pay attention until you need to, which is towards the end. Mm -hmm. And that makes things a lot more volatile than they seem, which is great. Two two observations, and maybe we move away from this <coughs> afterwards. One, uh, I was listening to a recent episode of The Daily, which is produced by our very good friend Andy Mills, friend of the podcast, who's never been here. We should bring him in at you some point. You should have point. him on, for sure. Um, I, love, I love Andy. Um, but I was listening to the episode where they were talking to people on the ground in New Hampshire. And the the thing that most that is most galling, and I've been on the ground in New Hampshire during the campaign season as well at the, the time I was helping Ron Paul. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, the thing that I found most galling is that people are showing up to campaign events and they're making decisions based on the time that they spend with the candidates, listening to them listening to them answer questions, et cetera. And I just wrong with you, listening man? to candidates and having that be the thing that the helps to determine your vote seems like the wrong policy. That's, I'm that's, just wanna, I just want to put that out there. But that's, that's New all. Hampshire. That's, that's throwaway. Like, I get it. I understand. But like I find people it, go to a dozen of these things. I understand. It's part of their it kind of me entertainment upset. industrial. It makes me sad. <laughs> complex. Second, it is. It really The is. second observation is something that I, I haven't heard uh, observed in many other places. And I'd asked earlier before the room was full. Um, so some of you have heard this before. The most surprising thing to me is the degree to which Buttigieg and his second place finish. And I mean, this is like a razor thin margin here. Uh, Bernie has 25.7%. Buttigieg has 24.4%. I'm hearing more people talk about Andrew Yang exiting the race than I am hearing people talk about Buttigieg. And in in terms of coverage, what people are actually, but no, I think people are more interested in the fact that (laughs) Klobuchar has sort of surged into third place and speculating about whether or not she can do well. And it's interesting, at least that, and I'm more interested in this horse race stuff than I usually am. It's interesting, at least that Buttigieg had this situation that was so weird coming out of Iowa, where if he had actually finished first and the news media was focused on it for a week, the way you might expect it to, maybe he comes into New Hampshire stronger and coming out of New Hampshire, the field is so crazy and the storylines are so thick that you could focus on, on Biden falling and Warren falling and Klobuchar surging and Bernie and socialism. And the last thing that you're thinking about is the first potentially gay president of the United States who kind of sort of wants to legalize all drugs. And I just think that's interesting. I just think that you pronounce char as shire and that's i, yeah. I can't get my i don't know what i just said you say shire? Shire? i've been tr- i've been wondering if i should correct you for like no no six don't weeks it's again white yeah. explaining totally yeah. inappropriate and yeah. we don't abide that sort of thing uh, no i think yeah. i think it's i think it's your own it's uh, pretty white by the way to use shire can i can i can i double down on my whiteness tonight yeah i have an endorsement to make what oh, really prepared Uh-oh. to make an endorsement in this race okay yeah and yeah i'm not gonna puss now. out like the new york times yeah and by puss i mean puss in boots by the way a cat. Yeah. just cat. so you know bill cosby's in jail he's not running <laughs> i know you're on free bill cosby hashtag with snoop i mean he didn't do anything yeah. obviously um I'm, that's a joke by the way camille, Ty, camille, camille, when, when we did the patreon last time camille didn't believe me that that's <laughs> that's that, that, that snoop was uh, tweeting with the free Bill Cosby hashtag and that Bill Cosby was tweeting from prison. But he shouldn't be tweeting from prison. He was, he's, he's supposedly blind. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought a lot of things were going on here about prison rights. Yeah. I, I do, but I mean, that's surprising. I was going to get jello. People are waiting for this endorsement, by yeah. the way. And I know some of you monsters who listen to Matt Welch yell at his comrade, Nick Gillespie, that I'm going to come <laughs> out and MAGA. He's MAGA me crazy. You're waiting for it, but whatever. 
I'm endorsing Pete Buttigieg. What? Yeah. I think Pete Buttigieg is a dope. I don't find him particularly impressive or interesting. He seems like a faker to me in every way imaginable. Full stop. That said, it would be remarkable if the president of the United States, who no matter who they are, is going to do a bunch of shit that completely outrages me, is someone who explicitly says not only that the drug war is a failure because Barack Obama said that, he did absolutely nothing about it until he did some pardons eight years after he'd been in office. Some people who'd served out the entire term of his administration, he pardons them at the end. I don't think that's courageous. Anyways, Pete Buttigieg, on the other hand, has not only said it, he said that we should be decriminalizing all drugs. He said legalize. I want to hold him to that. I would accept decriminalize. I think he, maybe he said decriminalize, but in either case, he suggested now that maybe we do misdemeanors. I don't care any of those that things goes a long way. an yeah. improvement. If I only get that out of him and he does all sorts of other ruinous things, as I expect he and anyone else who gets elected would, or Donald Trump, if he wins another term, that would be pretty damn good. And I don't think I can expect that from anyone else who runs for office. And on that single issue alone, I'm endorsing the man. Can I? Wow. Ask and I think he's a dope. I, I, the reason I think and I, awful. I, I kind of get, and I love Melania. I know. And you I do. want to keep Melania. I know you do. And I, I think he should do. consider keeping Melania and By the way, where Chastin. Did, where keep did them you, both? Yeah. Where did you get that Melania um, beach towel? <laughs> did they, did they make those? Or did I you made make that, that yourself. I made that. I, no, I think that the reason I'm like, okay, I see where you're going with this because think back and in your lifetime. What president has had one policy, a single policy? I'm thinking I'm knowing you mm. that you have been like, that is kind of worth the price of admission mm. or even kind of close to that. I can't I don't remember you saying anything about anyone positive that, that was was occupying that position. Richard and, Nixon ended the military draft. I, within 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 I your, wasn't alive within your lifetime. Uh, yeah. Uh, is, is there something in Bill Clinton? That would have been, been good. That, that might have been enough. Um, but yeah, no. After it, it really but, well, no, it wouldn't have been enough because t- t- exactly what you said about Barack Obama would be exactly what you said about R- Richard Nixon after he sent how many people to die in Vietnam? Well, yeah, who were drafted? Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, is there anything? Because that yeah. would be huge. Because I could see you being like, "This is absolutely amazing." Yeah, there's no other thing that I can think of in your lifetime that would would be even close I've, I've, to that. I've got nothing. Yeah, I've got nothing. I certainly can't take the the promises from Barack Obama that I never trusted on things that I thought were important, like yeah. curtailing the power of the executive branch, for example. I just didn't trust you. Never did. Well, and the opposite. There we are. <laughs> um, so there it is. Pete Buttigieg for president of the United States. Wow. He's going to suck, but at least he thinks the drug war the is man... not just bad, but should come to an end, and he has explicitly endorsed that policy. I just want to, to point out that the man who's running for office... Camille Foster, Camille 2020 has endorsed another candidate. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. I, I'm not running for office. Also, shout Camille out to Catherine, is... Catherine Mango Ward. I think Catherine Mango Ward on the Reason Podcast recently. The Reason I Round listened Table to her. Podcast, I listened yeah. to her talking about this, and I said, "You know what? Catherine is a sane person, and I agree with her on this." Wow. There Changing is. hearts and minds. Hey, if I'm not mistaken, last week or the week before, you're like, "Pizza fraud." He is. <laughs> He's a I I loathe him. I watched his performance in the debate, and it was it was a shambles. In fact, here's the transition. The question in the debate that he got that really threw him for a loop, the one that gave Elizabeth Warren the opportunity to, to just alley oop on his ass, was about 
where the hell is he South from Bend. again? That's South Bend. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Police issues in South Bend. Right. And I want to go back to the original question, that, though. You know, How do you explain the increase in black arrests in South Bend under your leadership for marijuana, marijuana. possession? Like, more times than white people. The Why is this happening? Was lower no, there was the an increase. Rate. The year before you were in office, it was lower. Once you became in office in 2012, that number went up. In 2018, the last number of year that we have a record for, that number was still up. His answer there, as well as his broader performance, where he just doesn't say anything most of the time and generally doesn't talk about policy, um, are all the reasons I hate him. But that actually dovetails very nicely with Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who finds himself embroiled in a bit of a scandal this week as well, um, specifically related to stop and frisk in New York City, a policy which he endorsed and was enthusiastic about supporting, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, I'm just remembering now. Um, But some secret tapes have leaked that have him saying some rather scandalous things. Uh, wasn't weren't these secret tapes from a radio show? Uh, I mean, no, actually, the secret tapes I believe were from the Aspen Institute. Aspen was, Ideas. Oh, we talk, he, was it Aspen yeah. Ideas? And he tried he to gave get a them, talk. Yeah. He told them he told not them to not do to anything with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Someone yeah. was apparently recording thinking, on their cell phone. I was thinking about. Uh, yeah. but, but he said the same, same thing, thing in private. Yeah. Murders, murderers, and murdered victims. one of you can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the time. They are male minorities, 15 to 25. That's true in New York. It's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. So you've got to, if you want to spend the money for a lot of cops in the street, put those cops where the crime is, which means in the minority neighborhoods. So it's one of the unintended consequences is People say, oh, my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana. They're all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we throw all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the, the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is uh, to throw them against the wall and frisk them. And then they start, they say, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to get caught. So they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they leave it at home. The response to this audio is Donald Trump tweeting, oh my God, Mayor Mike Bloomberg <laughs> is a super fucking racist, yeah. which is amazing. Didn't he delete that? Yeah, he, deleted he, it. he also likes stop and frisk. Yeah. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted the central part. He had a brief yeah, social right. justice warrior I wanna, seizure. I, I want to point yeah. out that you I, would describe that right, I think. you would describe Donald Trump calling this racist as amazing. But if it was Jake, Tapp- <laughs> if it was Jake Tapper doing it, you'd be like shaking your damn head. Donald Trump actually retracted that charge of racism. Yeah. Yeah. He With deleted delete, that. Yeah. Tweet. No, he didn't retract it. He, he deleted, deleted a tweet, tweet while yeah. his. Idiot son was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking LARP camo. Yeah. Um, I wonder what you gentlemen think of all of this. Nope. Anything? <laughs> nope. Nothing. Uh, Come on, Jesse. As a black man, what do you think about what's happening here? No, I, I think that it's one of those things where um, it's best not to talk about. It. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, do what do you guys know Jesus what to talk about? Which, which parts the, yeah, the, yeah, the mind? No, it's not that. Uh, it involves black people. My, no, Anthony I don't Fisher. care about that even one bit. Wow, you don't care about black people? <laughs> no, just you. <laughs> just you. Your family is good. You're not. Uh, no, I mean, this is this was all totally known. He yeah. had an interview, well, another like Aspen jerk-off festival. Sorry, 
Easy, who now listens to these things and like texts me my my oh, cussing. Oh my god, that's terrible! Wow. You tell me that like two hours in. Yeah, I know. Uh, whatever, we can't. It can't be helped. Yeah. Um, but uh, she needs to learn. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about the earlier stuff in the show. Nah, don't, don't worry about it. the stuff that was um, edited out. No, like he was, he said earlier last year, within like nine months. Ah, oh, you know, if I had to run for president, I would have to make all these ridiculous, abject apologies. <laughs> For everything that I've ever done, and it would be really embarrassing. <laughs> and then, like, he starts to run for president, and within like a day and a half, says, "Oh, I never knew that stop and frisk <laughs> might be deleterious to the minority communities." But now that I have been educated, I feel really bad about that. Like you, bullshit artist. I, and like he telegraphs the bullshit about it all. Absolutely. And I, ch- I mean, it shows you more than anything how much um, everything has changed. I mean, you could say that, and maybe he didn't want that record at the time, but as Camille pointed out, he said similar things publicly during mm-hmm. his, his it, interviews mayoral, with the New York Times yeah. 16 months ago, uh, defending it against, it against well, that, that's, judges saying that it was unconstitutional. Yeah, well, that is kind of defending his legacy in some way, and like not expecting, I, I suspect, that he was going to run for for uh, pr- president. But I think the, the takeaway from that for me is like, oh, yeah, people used to talk like this all the time. We talked about this last night, Camille, like the things that Charlie Rangel used to say. Oh, yes. Which mm-hmm. are similar. Charlie, Charlie Rangel talked about giving the death penalty to people who were dealing drugs in the black community who he understood to be black people yeah. because they were monsters who were trying to hurt us, yeah. which is not dissimilar from Jesse Jackson, who, as I was sharing with you guys earlier, some, some really remarkable quotes from him, visiting prisons and castigating black inmates I know. who were responsible for destroying the community who he chastised for letting down their mothers and Dr. King, who had died for them. Because one of them was wearing a Dr. King t-shirt. Berating (laughs) a woman who is in prison wearing a Martin Luther King t-shirt and saying to her, if you really cared about him, you wouldn't be here now. You would now. not be here <laughs> now. Was he berating his own son or that was that came Oh, hey. yeah. yeah that's, a, that's in prison Shots for fired. a different thing. Shots uh-huh. fired. What? Yeah, not, Wrongly not shooting people, which, which actually leads to, <laughs> I, think, I, I think, two worthwhile points. One is that um, stop and frisk, which hasn't always been called stop and frisk, is one of many policies that at a different point in time actually enjoyed a fair amount of support. It's a bad policy, but it was very popular. Black communities. Yep. Yeah. Lots of tough on crimes policies had those 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 endorsements from black lawmakers as well as black citizens, particularly in certain high crime areas. That's a thing that is absolutely true. And the way the policy was defended was, and this leads to the second point, totally consistent with the way Mike Bloomberg described it, which sounds crass and sounds pretty awful in the recording. But part of that is also just we're not allowed to say certain things anymore. You're not allowed to say out loud what is absolutely true, that most of the people who are murdered in New York City are black and brown, and that most of those murders are perpetrated by people who oftentimes know them who are also black and brown. But it depends As on the context that you say also, it, right? It, it so does it, depend it, on it, the context. People do, you are allowed to say it, or people do say it uh, quite openly when talking about, you know, why this is happening, right? Mm-hmm. That, that it's, if, if uh, for instance, if somebody's going to say that it's a system, systemic racism or something or white supremacy, they will then use those numbers well, to yeah, talk and about And Bloomberg doesn't go there, but he does suggest, yeah. and what I think is entirely consistent with what sort of a Jesse Jackson um, or, um, uh, what's his name? Former Obama. Sasha Malia. <laughs> yes, Rahm Emanuel, Sasha, Sasha we, and Malia Obama. Can we go no, back Eric, to Charlie Rangel? Eric Holder, Eric Holder. Eric Holder. <laughs> not not dissimilar from what Eric Holder said when he was in D.C. 
and he was supporting these very same policies. He was a huge booster of stop and frisk policies. He yeah. wanted to not necessarily stop people walking on the street. He wanted to stop a lot of cars. He wanted to rifle through those cars. He was he was talking about tactics like just ask, just well, ask if they'll show you what's in their car. And, and that was terrible. They endorse these policies. Yeah, these are bad policies. Lots of people. These have. are re- these are really really bad. But policies, it's it's important to, be, to note to that yes, these policies yeah. may actually have some effect. It is entirely possible that if you arm enough guys, have them go into certain neighborhoods and have them throw kids up against the wall and rifle through their pockets, as Mike Bloomberg described it. Um, you can eventually get some of them to stop carrying guns. You might even be able to put a dent in the crime rate. It's it's But when they stopped stop and frisk in New York City, crime rates didn't spike immediately. They have inched up in some respects. It doesn't matter if it's effective. But it's It's, bad. Exactly. I mean, it's the morality of it that's more important because you know what's really effective? North Korea. There's no gun violence in North Korea because you know what? (laughs) They've gone way, way far. And it's like, yeah, it's really effective. I don't care if it's effective. But can I underscore one thing? When, When Eric Holder was Dis- describing these programs to Diane Reams, and I was just reading like some of the the, the She's stuff still on the related to this. Yes. No, I don't know. Oh, but I was reading <laughs> so unfair. <laughs> Let's just we'll keep it moving. No one will notice. Uh, I was she reading. I was rereading a section of James <laughs> James Foreman Jr.'s book, Locking Up Our Own, that. which is quite Great good. Book which is quite good and people should go read it. There's a chapter in it called what would Martin Luther King say about stop and frisk? Is that what the Jesse quotes are is from? That, that is where yeah. the Jesse quotes are yeah. from. So I'm, I'm borrowing from there yeah. heavily, but I've done my research people. So you can still credit me. Um, Matt, can you, you just throw me off my mojo? I don't really, I'm finished. Oh no. No, we really do have to move on. Cause we're going to lose. Wait, Jesse. There's one no, of the book yeah, though, around the time that came out, there's a guy named Michael Fortner and he wrote a really good book. I wrote about, I, of course I'm forgetting the title. It was about how, um, Harlem, especially a lot of people there. It's called Black Silent Majority. Black Silent Majority. Yeah, they Thank supported. You, they supported the Rockefeller drug laws. And, yes, and Great reading book. that. Um, look, I don't think it makes the laws a good idea, but but totally. there's this very essentialist notion of black politics. And I think white progressives often and. Tell me if I'm wrong. And, and black activists. You speak for all black people. Tell me if I'm right here. Well, no, I'm the expert on black people. Yeah. I don't speak okay. on behalf of you, them. You, but, I'm not but, one of them. you speak for nope. about seven black people. <laughs> no, <laughs> no but, my, but my sense is there is this like dual thing going on where, where a lot of black communities simultaneously feel they're mistreated by the police and the police don't protect them. Sure. And and there, it, it is not like a simple. I, I actually think it's more complicated than that. I mean, if you if you talk to, to some people who have attended some of these local police uh, like weekly or monthly meetings that they'll have with citizens of a community that happens to be a high crime area. Like they like their police officers. They want to see more of them. They want them in their public housing building and they kind of want them throwing kids up against the wall and rifling through their pockets. And they sort of want that today. Well, yeah. And, and they, yeah. and they, and they are happy to see them and they tolerate the inconvenience of occasionally being stopped. There are some people who feel that way. It is still a bad idea. It's mm-hmm. still bad policy. It is. it is still a grotesque compromise. And I think that is the important thing to underscore here, yeah. that there are constitutional rights. And what I was going to say earlier was Eric Holder, when he was advocating for these laws, described to Diane Reem how we need to go up to the limits that are allowed by the Constitution in order to institute these policies because – and this is important, an important and fair point to them as well – there were a lot of black people who endorsed these policies. A lot of people who would quote or invoke Martin Luther King when endorsing these policies were looking for two things, both the structural reforms that they thought were necessary to get long-term changes in these communities that would make them not high crime areas, but also an immediate resolution to an absolute urgent problem, which is kids who have guns and are shooting the shit out of other kids who happen to look like them. Um, I mean, crime went up consistently from 1968. 
to 1990. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like 92. And not just in the United States, not just in, in urban centers, all over the industrialized West. It's sure. just a weird thing. And people, by the end of it, were losing their freaking minds. Yeah. yeah. yeah and that's, for sure. And look, and that's uh, when you, I always mention this, is like to, to think of what you were saying or writing on October 1st, 2001, should not be taken in isolation of September 11th. I mean, we all had some pretty kind of, well, I did anyway. Speak cra- for yourself. Yeah, crazy ideas after, like, you know, I was in New York. It was it was a pretty crazy uh, time. And the same thing is true when you, no one ever mentions who was supporting the sentencing disparities uh, with uh, crack and powder cocaine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just look at the Congressional Black Caucus at the time. And it is often, to Jesse's point, is that, you know, you're not, this stuff is destroying our community and you're not doing enough about it. Right. You know, I, we, we were the hallmark of racism. These communities were being neglected and they were being underpoliced. Yes. That, that, and, and like, you know, it's in the thing now is that they're getting a lot of calls from those neighborhoods. Are they being responded to? Right. Mm. And now it's like, you know, if, if a lot of cops in this kind of passive policing way and not the active policing way of stop and frisk are still often in neighborhoods where they're getting the most calls and that's going to going to end up, you know, being disproportionate in neighborhoods that have more violent crime, for instance. But, yeah, no, it's it's it is depressing to see the conversation about this kind of strip out the nuances of because, you know, I mean, it is often white people and white people in sort of elite media that flatten the experience and the the opinions and the ideas of black Americans, particularly when you hear what, at the beginning of this election campaign, like, oh, my God, all these black people support Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. How the yeah. fuck does this happen? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, you don't understand anything, do black, you? Black it's like, people, why black are they... people in the South who are starting to support Bloomberg as an alternative yeah. to Biden. Yes. While this is going on, yes. who are endorsing him yes. while he's enduring this. Too tough on crime. Well, no, the, Clinton, the Clinton thing, too, because like there's a progressive uh-huh. wing that's like Clinton was horribly racist. The uh, 94, 96 crime bill. The, right. The crime bill. Yeah. Yeah. Which also had a lot of like CDC support yeah. and um, hugely popular. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just this. I, I just hate. I mean, I'm with you on this. This idea of reducing a people to this caricature. and They all uh-huh. have the same politics and they don't have some internal contradictions. But any big group is, is torn on stuff. And sure. I think people but need to respect es- Especially that. racial but, groups because they're fake. Right. But nobody in Mexico eats barbecue like, sauce, by the way. That's it's true. Nobody. Worth, <laughs> it's worth just looking at the thing on the merits regardless of what groups might have said Precisely. now totally. or before. I, I think and the fair. merits of it are really messed up. Mm-hmm. Um Easy because uh, <laughs> you go into you go and you and you shake down people for guns and ninety nine percent of them don't have them. Totally. Right. They just are in a poor neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. This is creating a police state in poor neighborhoods. Absolutely. And I'm not using that word like too hyperbolically. I think it's because, totally fair because it's also with all the security cams, particularly in New York after nine eleven. Um, it's it's astonishing how much of what we do on the street. Anytime we're in Manhattan, but in a lot of other places, is recorded. I know enough cops and talked about this. If, it's crazy, if you t- and it's wrong. If you take guns out of the equation, because of course, people saying we have to do something about guns, and there's sentencing guidelines and things that are uh, pretty harsh for people who have uh, unregistered, unlicensed firearms. If there's a firearm commissioned in a crime, a firearm found in a car during a, a stop. I mean, if you take guns out of that equation, I mean, you're having you have a totally different thing, right? And I, I have well, you wouldn't you wouldn't have uh, any support at all among liberals if you mm-hmm. take guns out because yeah. guns out, it's like, oh God, we all hate guns. Of course, you can't just go to the projects and shake them down for pot. Although in in reality, that's what happened. That's precisely what it ended up being. Yeah, that's yeah. the principle, and that's thing the that disparity because right. the 
black people don't smoke pot or brown people don't smoke pot any more than white people do. Well, that's a, that's often trotted out, but I don't know that we actually have data that's good enough to support it. I, I could generally there accept the premise. Let's say but we don't have data. There isn't to any data to way. suggest any any other thing. Yes. But there is a huge disparity in arrests, particularly in New York. New York was the marijuana arrest capital of the planet. Mm. I mean, more than the Philippines, more than Singapore, more than anywhere under Bloomberg's reign. And it's also part of his mentality, which is always like, I want to change the behavior of poor people. He gave an interview with Christine Lagarde, the former oh my God. Uh, 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 head of the IMF. Um, but taxing them? Was that, yeah, that as like, insane? Pe- people like, uh, and this is, this is two years ago. It's not long ago. It's, it's insane. And, and they're like, uh, you know, people criticize me for wanting to have regressive taxes about <laughs> trans fats and about sodas and stuff like that because it's regressive. It, it impacts the poor disproportionately. But, dude, that's the point. Because it affects them more, it has uh, the opportunity to change their behavior more. And what we need to do is to change their behavior in order to save their lives. That is his essential mentality. Mm -hmm. And that is grotesque. It is authoritarian and grotesque. He does not deserve to be anywhere near the presidency. We live in an authoritarian moment. So it's going to be either Donald Trump, the authoritarian, Michael Bloomberg, the authoritarian. I don't think it's going to happen. Bernie Sanders, the authoritarian. It's going to be the nice authoritarianism. But it's a bad, bad place we're at right one, now. One final um, uh, thing that you maybe disagree with me on is that um, we're often flippant about money and politics for a variety of reasons, right? And I think that, like, saying, like, oh, money doesn't, you know, whoever we were talking about before. Steyer. Uh, Steyer, right? Mm-hmm. But there is something to be said for the fact that when you are flooding, I mean, you can say it's it's good, it's bad, it, it should be allowed, it shouldn't be allowed. But for us to ignore the fact that Michael Bloomer has spent more than anyone ever in the history of anything and is now actually registering. Uh-huh. It's that's the reason. But it's right? not just well, it's not just that. It's definitely name recognition is a part of well, that. You have to be you, you, you have to be, be a star. You can't you be have Rocky to be a star. De La Fuente or but, whatever but, the fuck his name is. But, but I think there's son. a difference. It's like Donald Trump spending half the money as Hillary Clinton and still yeah. managing to win because she also ran a really terrible campaign. The reason he won isn't just no, because no, he was no, rich. No, I, he was rich and super no, famous. No, no, it's, it's a straw man. I'm not, yeah. this is a straw man. I'm not saying that in yeah, any way. Yeah. It's like the steroid. I mean, like I can take a ton of steroids. I'm not going to hit yeah, any yeah. home runs because yeah. <laughs> I suck at baseball, yeah. right? <laughs> That's just a simple thing. Fenway. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a, what, 290 around the, uh, Give us back a couple of doubles off the it's wall. It's like literally, t- well, it's 314, uh, but it's 37 feet high, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, what uh, up there? No problem for Noma, though. No, <laughs> Noma! Yeah. You're, you're a massel, aren't you? I am. I was going to say, like, watching New Hampshire have any influence yeah, in yeah, national politics is just terrifying. Yeah, it's like, what <laughs> I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say it filled you with pride. Uh, no. No, no you, know when, you know when New Hampshire is? <laughs> It's a place where the package's open on Sunday. Ah. The is on Sunday. Ah. Oh, by the way, I gotta have a New, I have a New Hampshire thing. New Hampshire thing. Is the guy you know the guy who wrote that thing attacking us on uh, Reddit? Uh, he wrote me an email apologizing. Oh, he's from, I think he's from New Hampshire. That's nice. I think he is from New Hampshire. That's good. Yeah, it's true. That's good. We want you to exchange our. No, I, I sent. It was a yeah. very, very, very contrite email, and he said he deleted the post from Reddit. You don't yeah. have to do that, kid. No, he doesn't have to do that. But but it was very, very nice and. Um, he was like, I realize I'm being a total asshole. And um, I heard you were talking about it in the Patreon, so I subscribed, and the episode that was doing great. So, don't um, you dare cancel. All that. is uh, forgiven. 
And I sent him an email back, and I actually really appreciated the email. So, it was very, very nice of him. So we're up against a bit of a, a hard a hard out, or at least a hard break, because Jesse has to run in a bit. And Jesse, one, I know that you – I wanted to commend to people uh, a piece that you wrote back in September of 2015. And I know about wow. this because Whoa. Anthony Fisher told me about it. Um, the black activist who helped launch the drug war. And it's uh, – yeah, New York he doesn't remember. I said that already. Like, yeah, he, no, he it's remembers. a Fortner Black Development um, Drug. But I, I also wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on something that I noticed a little bit earlier. Uh-oh. I didn't mention this during the tease, but I saw a piece because a friend shared it with me uh, in The Guardian. And the title of it was White Supremacist Propaganda in U.S. More Than Doubled in 2019 Report Fines. And when I first saw that headline, I thought to myself, my God, another one of those – incredibly dubious studies. Why does anyone bother covering these things? What reputable publication would cover this? Almost certainly no one else has. And of course, I went and Googled white supremacist, and I noticed that various other prominent publications were running with the same stupid story. And I say it's stupid not because I think white supremacy isn't a bad thing, but because these numbers are dubious. And it sounds like you might agree with me. Yeah, so I'm I'm less familiar with this specific study, but a couple times um, when I was at New York Mag, I wrote about the ADL put out a big study about how much anti-Semitism there was online. ADL is? Anti-Defamation League. Thank you. Um, and in this study and another study I looked at by Amnesty that looked at misogynistic harassment online, mm-hmm. again, can't speak to this one. There is this tendency to sort of exaggerate and maybe overhype some stuff. So the like the ADL one I'm thinking about, there, there actually isn't that much anti-Semitic harassment. I've been hit by it. I'm Jewish. Mm-hmm. Shalom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, We're going to add in the anti-Semitic. The, the, yeah. the do the there. echo. Do, can you do the echo? We all Because in post-production, we add in anti-Semitic stuff. It's mostly in German. Yeah. If you don't right. speak German, you won't know. But, yeah. but continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. I like about your it's podcast. It's because they control the media. That's well, what I reason. like that you guys do is whenever you have a Jewish guest and they talk, you do a little jingle of change in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, have I talked to you about Merchant of Venice, which is totally my favorite Shakespeare play? True shocker. I, I think what it comes down to is the, these organizations, they have an agenda. They're, mm-hmm. they're, I am, like you, surprisingly, anti-white supremacy, anti-hate crimes. But huh. I think, like, Reason's done some good coverage of this. Uh, you're saying Elizabeth Nolan Brown did, right? Yeah. The methodology is often suspect. So all I would say is that, um, especially when a study, like, tickles the part of you that wants it to be true, uh-huh. with, like, Trump was elected, now there was a surge of... There wasn't really. No. There's not much evidence for it. No. I do think I do think there's elements of the way Trump communicates that probably stokes the worst people in the country. I don't think that necessarily led to some terrifying rise in hate crimes. And I'm obviously very anti-hate crime. So I just – this sort of ties it – like I'm working on a book about being skeptical of shitty behavioral science findings in general. So I just want people to be a little bit more skeptical and criti- critical-minded and to realize like you know, these organizations, including the, the SPLC, which we were talking about off-air, are not always rigorous when they're – you know, publishing alarmist research. I mean, in fact, the Southern Poverty Law Center had been doing bogus research about this stuff for years, maybe even decades, right? Like if there were, if there's me and Camille had our racist group, um, uh, and then <laughs> we just, des- and then we decided to split it off. Uh-huh. Uh, I should say Camille Moynihan, it's more plausible. Um, <laughs> and they decided to split, split, right. or, splinter it off. So we both start our own racist groups. Now there's been a doubling of racist. Right. That's, that's ba- no, seriously, <laughs> oh, that, that yeah. is absolutely yeah. the SPLC's, uh, uh, thing. But like, finally, after people like reason and other people have been writing about this forever, people kind of started to notice and then they've had some problems. And they're still doing some dubious stuff. Of yeah, course they, they are, are, but there's, but like the, their reception in the marketplace has changed, but it takes Just, a hell of a long time. And I think the ADL is sure. there. And that is my 
way to tee up Anthony Fisher. Do you have anything to say about this, Anthony? I've got work coming out. I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> it's long in the works. I, but I, the, uh, I knew it was embargoed, yeah. so I didn't go. Uh, there, 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 I don't want to reveal I'll the details, just, but something's coming. Michael, uh, I, well, I'll just give the headline on Anthony's thing. I don't know if you're going to reveal it, but he, he reveals that in December of 2016, after Trump was elected, there was an alarming rise in the discovery of backward swastikas. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, it, and, and it was actually because Morton Downey Jr. is oh, way yeah, more popular yeah, than you think. Unfortunately, yeah, if, if yeah, no one yeah, remembers yeah. that Morton, Morton Downey Jr. who said he was attacked by anti-Semites, uh, and the swastika on his face was backwards, which he then uh, acknowledged he re- he did in a mirror. Yeah. Uh, so he actually knew how to do a swastika. Yeah. Jesse Smollett. Yeah, yeah. And Morton, um, Morton's actually credited with like being like the proto Bill O'Reilly type. Like yeah. TV screamer, right. yeah. Uh, which reactionary, was. yeah. Which I mean, he was, yeah. but the difference between him and Bill O'Reilly is that Morton Downey Jr. didn't believe it, no. yeah. Uh, no. Whereas Bill O'Reilly yeah. does. But the thing about the, the anti-Semitism stuff is that there is a steadiness to anti-Semitism, yes. which is unfortunate for for everyone in the world and everyone who is Jewish. But you know, you don't need Donald Trump to have an uptick in anti-Semitism because, as we know historically, the great the the, the great problem of the 20th century was that people on the left and the right blamed Jews for being responsible for the bullshit revolution and responsible for capitalism. So you can't win on either no, side with, exchange, yeah. With, yeah. with the extremes. So that stuff does not go away. No, the, rise of, the rise of populism and nationalism has never been a friend to the Jews. Not no. even once. No. Well, and, uh, you know, and by the way, somebody did email, and I have one sentence on this, and I'm just going to say it's bad. But somebody said, uh, do, you have, do you have any co- uh, comments or will you have any comments on the Irish election, which oh, is yeah. a pretty narrow thing. So I'm not going to say anything more than the results are really bad. Because for the first time, the first vo- the, the, your first choice vote, uh, uh, top of the table, there was Sinn Féin in the Republic of Ireland, which is very, very, very distressing. Uh, you know, it is a, a left populist party. And um, the the um, party of the Irish Republican Army, which is a, a malicious organization that ruined the lives of many, many people. And it's incredible. People forget about that. So you have your you have your Donald Trump here. You have your uh, uh, you have your um, uh, Front National or the National Rally. Now you have Orban and, and Hungary. Left, right, center doesn't make a difference. There's a lot of bad people popping up all around the world. Go right to now. the Tony Blair Institute. And I know neoliberal cuck, whatever. But um, <laughs> they, they have been doing really good um, surveys and they have a new one out just like 10 days ago about an annual survey about populism in the globe um, and how many more people live under populist governments in the uh, what we used to call the West or the first world mm. than before even the second world um, uh, that and, and they trace it and they, they write about it in a very smart and like nuanced way, distinguishing between three or four uh, different flavors of populism. Go check it out. It's interesting. It helps it sort of actually explain if you want to understand even American politics and the difference between Trump populism and Sanders populism and what what patterns they might follow. Uh, the report will help you out there. It, it is a, a complicated issue, but it's a really interesting one just broadly, is that I remember a cover, and I'll have to dig it up, and if anyone out there is listening, maybe you can help me dig this up, but it was an Economist cover from probably the 80s, and it was in, about Ireland, and it was it was like a Dickensian cover of like some sort of street urchin and about what a basket case uh, Ireland was. And then, of course, you know, uh, the Celtic Tiger happened and you have things like Apple moving there, Dell moving their facilities there, the corporate tax rate being like 15 yeah, percent or something like that. And then, of course, the EU responding and, and, and suing them and saying you're not allowed to have that corporate tax rate. You, you owe us money. 
or something. There's an, in, like the European Union was not happy about this. Well, one, but one, it created this this in, in, incredible boom. And despite the fact that Ireland's had some pretty tough times after the kind of the, the boom and the bust, is it going to Ireland now versus going to Ireland then is a totally different world. And that is because money poured into the country um, in this time of the the uh, Celtic Tiger because of all of these American companies. I mean, look, you have an educated workforce who speaks English and you have a, a, a low... I mean, I say, so, I mean, they're putting the, <laughs> putting the, putting the chips on the legs. Absolutely fucking lovely. I was putting a chip on the fucking thing. We're, we're going to make Jesse late if we don't stop soon. Where are you going, Jesse? I have a rec league basketball game, doubleheader, Smooth Cactus, Bowery Street, YMCA. Wow. Any listeners want to come down and watch? But they, they, wow. They're not going to hear this until like a day from now. No, I just mean any night of the week, come down. <laughs> we, might, we might have a game. You play like every wow. night? Wow. No. Oh, Once every seven. I'm saying you have a one in seven chance of seeing me play. Uh, okay. So just like hang out, hang it. out at the YMCA. Yeah. Stock There's a lot of people that do that. Jesse, I, I wanted to give you. Jesse, you're, uh, like, you're, you're like 6'3". Yeah. What do you play in pickup basketball? Uh, sort of like a 90 style power forward. I have, so yeah. they keep, yeah. they keep stats in this league. And oh I, my God. I have zero three point attempts. <laughs> nice. Averaging a smooth 12 and nine though, which. That's, you know, what's up Maurice Lucas? Two, exactly. two things I wanted to do before we left. One, there's a point that you make. And because we mentioned the Anti-Defamation League and we were critical of their work, it's worth underscoring one of, I think, the best insights related to this. And we've talked about threat inflation on the podcast before, but the reason why it matters if you're exaggerating the significance of this problem or if you're suggesting that it is, oh my God, on the rise, or if you're writing stories about base, this nefarious organization that might have dozens of members. Right. They did something and you on suggest Google Maps, that they're more dangerous than they actually are. That is good for them. When you liken them to Al Qaeda and suggest that they're getting their techniques from them, that's bad. It helps them. That's one thing. Two, what's up with your book? Uh, it should be on about a year. It's okay. just it's taking a while. But, There's a little time. Similar to how you guys, uh, listeners, should just hang out at the YMCA. Look for me. Just <laughs> <laughs> hang out in bookstores yeah. next, early next year. <laughs> Eventually Jesse, I want to point out that our listeners hang out at the YMCA. They're just not looking for you. Yeah. <laughs> doing a lot Are of you things. sure? Yeah, well, it depends. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No. Definitely no, not, books, definitely definitely not bookstores, though. <laughs> Wait, you're saying okay. selling drugs to kids? No, hanging at the YMCA. Talk just, more steam room, but just fine. Just, just uh, keep it. Just I keep, see what you guys are doing. Keep it going man. and let him, let him go. That's are we going to close yeah, out? Anything else, Jesse? Anything else? No, you guys are incredible. How do you find Jesse Singles? Newsletter or whatever the hell. Oh, oh Substack. Yeah. So single.substack.com. Mm. Yeah. Sounds sexy. Check, that, check yeah. that out. It's like mm. random stuff. Wow. Do you have good. to pay for it? You know, there's two tiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want me to? Yeah. 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 Plug yourself. Man. It'll take like 45 minutes to go through the tiers. No. It's, just, <laughs> uh, it's $5 a month. It's um, it's like, um, it's basically fifth column, but less misogynistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, way yeah. to not sell it. He's good. Yeah. He's good. <laughs> Do you know why we have so many subscribers? <laughs> Most of them are women. Yeah. Who know, yeah. Who know their place. Wait, oh, oh, which is oh, in the kitchen. Wow. By the way, by the way, you made a joke like that on the Patreon and I cut it. Did I was, you? Yeah, I was offended by it. I'm not cutting it this time. I know, but yeah. I'm going to be on record being offended by it. Yeah, so I'm, go ahead. This is consistent with the word of God. I'm not playing games. Oh, my God. <laughs> Submit to your husbands. God. Mm. Seriously, stop. And submit yourself one to another. No. As iron sharpeneth iron. Jesse, thank you for coming. Thank you guys for having me. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Jesse. Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.